Now, more than ever, it's important to show support for your team and your community. Visa and the National Football League know that local businesses help your community move the ball down the field. Small businesses everywhere are overcoming challenges in these new times thanks to teammates like you and Visa. Because when everyone pitches in, everyone benefits. Being loyal to local businesses ignites growth and supports all of us in our communities. Because they know that where you shop matters, Visa urges you to support local retailers who are making shopping safe and reliable. And remember, tap to pay with a contactless Visa whenever you see the contactless symbol to help support your community. Visa, official partner of the NFL. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I am your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, is my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how are we doing? Doing well, Jordan, but if I want to change the subject during this podcast, should I just say water, water, or should we have some <laughs> other code that comes through uh, to, to signal to, to the other person that we want to talk about something different? Much like Jared Goff, your audibles include water, water. <laughs> Wizard, 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 wizard. I just something that starts with an L yes. and the second word starts with an M that I don't know if I'm allowed to share in case nobody else caught it. <laughs> so I just walked go. through my neighborhood yelling those words for, for no particular reason. The, the, <laughs> the neighbors uh, shut their windows when I walked by. Yeah, you know, that was an unusually loud broadcast. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably know the Buffalo Bills beat the Los Angeles Rams 35-32. It just weirdly is like maybe for the first time in my li- life covering a loss. It doesn't really feel like a loss, I think, in terms of the fallout from it. So I know we'll get to that in a minute. But on that broadcast, man, Jared Goff's audibles at the line of scrimmage were quite loud. Um, I- I'm going to have a piece on that coming out later this week that I'm excited about. Before anyone gets excited, no, this piece will not be breaking any insane news uh, about football matters that I'm sure there are people out there that would love to explain to me. But it's one of those where it's just fun. It's just kind of an inside look at at some of the challenges that a team faces now that there's no crowds when literally everybody can hear what you're talking to your offense about, including the defense. So this is going to be I just think it's I, I think it's fascinating, and I might be the only one, but I guess we'll see uh, later this week. Yeah, I don't know what it was. The it, it seemed to come through. I don't think Jared was yelling any louder, or that the, <laughs> there was any less noise. I don't know whether the microphones were placed a little bit differently or what was going on there. But yeah, it really felt like you were you were in the huddle, which is cool. I I, I like that. I, I like having the you know kind of the natural sounds of. Uh, of the game, I really think that's something that they should play up, uh, you know, to the extent that the that the coaches would allow it. But uh, yeah, how about that, Jordan? That was uh, that that was quite a meal of a game, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, there was a lot to digest uh, in, in those four quarters. Uh, some of it good, some of it bad. But uh, I don't know if you're if you're a Rams fan. I think you feel okay coming out of that, given all the circumstances, right? Yeah, you know, it's still a loss. I'm not gonna kind of be the person that sits there and is like. Two and one feels great, you know, like I. (laughs) it's still, you know, a loss is a loss. At the same time, though, first of all, you're you're okay that it happened with somebody who's not in your division. You're also okay that it's the second of two really grueling road trips. You're okay that it's the best defense that that players said they're going to be facing all year. Um, You're okay with the fact that you climbed from a 28 to three deficit and had the lead by four points until the very end. I mean, you feel good about all of those things. You don't feel good about conversions on third and 22. Um, You don't feel good about an additional 17 yards picked up to get them into scoring range. And you don't feel good about a defensive pass interference at the very end that gave them another shot at the end zone. But other than that, you feel good. Yeah, I mean, how many times in that game could the Rams have just mailed it in for all the reasons that you said? I mean, it, it was another long road trip. It, it couldn't have been real fun to do that again. You're down 28-3. I mean, the sequence there for me was, you know, Sean McVay uh, goes for it on that fourth down, doesn't get it. 
but Buffalo takes over midfield, goes down and scores quickly. I mean, that should have been the end of the game there, right there. I mean, a lot of teams, a lot of seasons, that's it. That's just the end of the game. And and the Rams came right back and, and you know, got the job done uh, to take the lead, like you said. So a, a lot there uh, to take away positives from. I, I think you learn a lot about a team's makeup and psyche um, in, in a situation like that. You don't like giving those games away. I mean, if I feel like I say it every week, but, uh, you know, with the division games coming up, these this is another one of those games where you went, oh, gosh, if they could have won that one, start 3-0, and then, then you put yourself in a, in a really good position. But uh, really fascinating game there, there Jordan. A, a, a lot to unpack and give, give Buffalo credit. I mean, they're for real. We didn't know about them. Uh, you know, because their their level of competition hadn't been very good coming into the game. But uh, I, I came away a believer in, in the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, you know, I just want to point out that there's a moment in every game, if there's a deficit like that, where you really can either see a team deflate, much like a balloon slowly floating downward from the sky, or you can see them gather themselves and press forward and continue to do the things that they know that they're good at. Now, Rich, as you know very well, I have covered several years of Carolina Panthers football prior to entering my job here in Los Angeles. So I will say to people who are listening right now, I have covered some blowout losses, (laughs) some blowout losses, some back-breaking, season-wrecking quarterback gets hurt, team gives up, everybody is getting cussed out in the locker room, come out and basically roll over football games. And not just a few, I've covered many of them. <laughs> and and so I, I just want to really take a moment to point out that I had a very, very different feeling, a very different vibe from watching these Los Angeles Rams. And I think for people who are accustomed to sort of sustained excellence within the Sean McVay era and have been for the last couple of years, it's sometimes easy to just accept that sort of sustained excellence as the norm. And so when things are are different or you're trying to vibe check, like it just, you, you can't really, sometimes you're just so used to a certain way. Well, coming in as a, a, you know, a newcomer here, I was just blown away because this team never exhaled. It could have, it got punched right in the gut and it could have exhaled and it didn't. And instead, the refusal to get rattled and the refusal to deviate from seeking to find the right play, like Robert Wood said, seeking to find the thing that could really start to give them their forward momentum and their progress. And, and you know, in the first half, it, it very much seemed like Sean McVay could not find that rhythm as a play caller. And they were wrecking the screen game, which took away a lot of their rhythm. Um, they were pressuring a ton, you know, very, very blitz heavy. And so that was something where you had to kind of bring in Tyler Higby as a blocker. You couldn't use him and test those two um, somewhat maybe not fully healthy linebackers in the middle of the field. You really were hoping that uh, as the Rams that you could test Tyler Higby in the middle of the field a little bit more early on, but instead you needed him as a blocker because they were doing so many different things um, in, in terms of their pressure. That's a great defensive line as well. And, you know, it, it just, it kind of threw off their rhythm a little bit. And, you know, the turnover was not a good decision. And then several other things that happened, third down sack, missed field goal. You know, the all of these things were, they just looked out of sync. But But there's a difference between being out of sync and just letting the wheels fall off the car and roll down the hill and being out of sync and then, sort of throwing cold water on your face and being like, okay, it's time to get my shit together. (laughs) And that's exactly what they did in the locker room. And Sean McVay, you know, first it was that sneak that Jared Goff ran. And then it was, you know, a couple of, of good Aaron Donald plays. He finally started to get going in the second half. It was Cooper Cup's touchdown. It was Robert Woods making a couple of great catches and getting that yak that we know he gets. Um, It was, it was the things that they do well, that were working. And it was also the fact that they could continue to establish the run the entire time. And I want to, I want to say, and I know I'm rambling here, but I think it's, it's just really important. Not only did the quarterback not get rattled and I know we'll get to Jared Goff because to me, this was his best game of the season, even with the interception, 
but also the play caller did not get rattled. And together they set the vibe for the entire team and they did not deviate from the things that they knew were working down 25 points. Your gut is screaming at you to pass the dang football. And they did not, they continued to run the ball 14 carries, 14 passes as they were making those that comeback. And that's such an, such an important balance because that running game set up so many more things that they're able to do in their passing game. And, and so I thought it was really admirable. It is so weird to me to be sitting here talking to you in almost like reverent tones about a loss. <laughs> but here I am sitting here, uh, and this is where we're at right now, I guess, Rich. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that, and especially with, with Sean McVay and, and that balance, because that's one, I, I think that was a legitimate criticism of him, even when things were going very well for the Rams in his first couple of years, was you could almost see the, the switch flip in his head when, when they were trailing or when something got tense, it was pass, 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 pass. And uh, whether he's learned from that himself, I'm sure he has, or you know whether he gets now input from some people around him. Uh, there was noticeably different uh, than than any other situation, and you don't get any more dire than being down twenty eight to three in the third quarter, and still they stuck with it. So I, I give a lot of credit uh, uh, to Sean for that. And the other thing is, you know, even though the the score was getting lopsided there, it didn't really feel like it. Uh, you know, you you think about some games where you're down by three touchdowns or whatever, and and you look at some teams and you, you think, yeah, they're just getting cooked right now. I, I didn't really feel that way about the Rams. I mean, they were, they were shooting themselves in the foot at times with, uh, you know, missed field goal, interception, you know, a bad fourth down call, whatever you want to say, but they were not, uh, they were, they weren't doing terrible. So and maybe they've sensed that too. And, and sense that, you know, they, they weren't out of that game, even though the, the point production wasn't there. And finally, Jordan, I, I think, you know, the, the reason for optimism there for me is, I always look at those teams that are able to make second half adjustments. And Mm -hmm. I I think that says a lot um, about coaches who can come in and do that quickly and about players who can have that kind of, you know, mental acumen to to turn things around during a game. Not easy to do, you know, just in in the course of a game to kind of just just flip that switch. Um, So the fact that they were able to do that impressive to me you just you don't want to get in that hole and you can't make those kind of mistakes that they did early uh you you just I mean it goes without saying you can't do this every week but you you can't do that too often I I think there were some question marks um maybe on that defense I'm sure we'll talk a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that too that that kind of got them in that hole and and uh, there were some issues that popped up throughout the game but you know, not a bad loss. And, and again, I think Buffalo is, uh, I don't know whether you say they're going to surprise people, but uh, I, I don't think you can uh, downplay that that team. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a fascinating game. It was much more interesting than I thought it was going to be. It was one of those games where you see everything, everything is stripped down right to its base, right to the studs, because there's nothing left to lose at that point. So you can really see what what the character is. And I know that probably sounds corny, but really, this is a character building game in a lot of ways. And Sean McVay, you know, talking to him this week after they had had a chance to rewatch the tape, kind of understand where they went wrong, self scout in a, in a lot of different ways. One thing, by the way, that he did say was that his failed fourth down call made him want to vomit. So that's some pretty <laughs> blunt self scouting there. I'll tell you what, I have not been around a lot of coaches that are willing to put the ego aside in that regard. So that was, that was pretty blunt. The other thing was I thought was fascinating was he straight up said, I loved the look in their eyes, the eyes of his players after the post game locker room. And what he meant by that was he did not see a team that felt defeated or discouraged, but more motivated than anything else. And especially because, and we talked about this last week too, as the missed tackles sort of started to build up into concerning double-digit numbers after week two. They're now well into the 20s, by the way. Right. (laughs) Um, We talked about this though, Rich. We said, hey, um, the things that they're doing wrong are not unfixable things. Right. That's the thing. It, it was never like structural things where you were like, they're just never going to figure this out. Or it wasn't 
players who clearly didn't belong on the field or in the starting lineup, things like that. Uh, that's If you see that stuff, then it's time to get concerned. Uh, it, it wasn't that. It was things that you looked at and go, went, okay, once they get a little more time together, once they get a li- little bit more uh, you know, live speed reps, that sort of thing, it, it's things that can be uh, worked out. And, and I think you saw that. And Wow, I mean that. I don't know what to make of the defense, Jordan. I mean, how do you go from a first half where I don't even know if if they were in like arm's length of of the quarterback in, in the first half? Never mind <laughs> touching him, or you know, I, I I don't even know, you know, if you could see the the, the color of their eyes. Um, to go from that to how many sacks in the second half? Six sacks. Uh, yeah, something like that. I mean, such a dramatic difference. Uh, it, there were there were things in that game that made me very concerned from the Rams' standpoint, and then there were things where they turned them around so quickly that I just went, "My goodness, this looks like a totally different team, a totally different defense." And then you give up a third and twenty-two. So I just, I, I didn't. I, I, it's one of those games. I, I'm, I'm really excited to go watch the all twenty-two. And and just kind of see what was going on there because my goodness, it's like a it's like a huge like five hundred piece puzzle that that I'm trying to trying to put together here. Yeah, and then real, I mean, real quick, four four sacks, six hits, which I think okay. is what you are meaning to say. Yes. But like you know, it, it it's it's one of those things, Rich, where it was a Jekyll and Hyde situation <laughs> with yeah. with that defense, and one of one of the things that was huge. And I don't think that you'll really get a lot of guys admitting it because you don't want to kind of give away your hand just in case your teammate wasn't healthy the following week. But losing Jordan Fuller, I think that does a lot in terms of the safeties on any team. And John Johnson does a fantastic job of this. But the safeties on any defense, and especially one that puts so much onus on what the defensive backs are able to do, Losing a guy who is, has really been clicking with you, not just in communication regard, but also in knowing where to be every single time and, and providing help and, and, you know, helping with those miscommunication things that we saw on Sunday, Jordan Fuller going out with a shoulder injury early in the game. That was not great for them. I mean, you could pretty much immediately see a difference in the caliber of that secondary. And there were guys making mistakes all over the field. You know, I don't necessarily, I think across the league, there's a mix, there are mixed feelings about, you know, quote unquote grades from various analytics websites that, that come out after the game. Like I don't, for example, the first two weeks of the year, I think Troy Hill played a lot better than some of those sites give him credit for. However, this third week, Troy Hill, was just missing assignments, it appeared. And again, right. like I, it's so hard to assign blame when you don't know the call. And I want people to understand that is like some of these calls that especially when you they pertain to a defensive backfield are so complicated in terms of you could think it's one thing and it's a totally different thing. Right. And uh, Jim Mora has a great rant about this, by the way, that's on YouTube that I urge people to go watch. But... Um, <laughs> What a throwback. But, but you know, it's really hard to assign blame. But the way that guys were reacting, you know, like Troy Hill was kind of looking over his shoulder thinking he had help at one point. Yeah. Um, some of it was technique stuff. Like one of the touchdowns uh, that Jalen Ramsey was definitely responsible for, you know, they were remarking on the broadcast that, that it just looked like a slip up with technique, which is super rare. So it's like once the one or two errors start to stack up and then more keep stacking up and then you're missing tackles in the second level, you're not getting any pressure in the first half. Really, the edge is, I think, a concern right now, and you're just not getting any outside pressure um, from from your outside linebackers, really. Um, You know, it's just all of those things stacked up and they really didn't have a plan. The adjustments, however, in the second half, I thought were, were stellar. That that was really, really important because it's not like this team doesn't know what to do. And so that's what we mean when we talk about fixable errors. Missed tackles are fixable errors. Assignment miscommunications are fixable errors. And um, adjusting sooner than the locker room at halftime, that is also a, a fixable thing. Yeah, great, great points there, Jordan. Yeah, it's and that's kind of why I mentioned the All-22 is that sometimes it's easier to see what's going on. Sometimes you see like a 
you know, a cornerback chasing after a receiver and you go, oh, that guy blew the assignment. Well, that, right. that might not be the case. Sometimes it might be, um, but oftentimes it might not be. He might be, you know, running to cover for somebody else who blew an assignment. Uh, one thing I, I think you see sometimes is I always look after the play. And when the defenders are kind of looking at each other or talking to each other, then it's kind of like, you know, something went wrong there. <laughs> like they're trying to put, you know, piece it together and you're like, okay, what happened here? Like, I thought you were going there. I thought you were getting that. So, you know, when right. you see when you see that happening a little bit, I, I think you can chalk it up to to a little bit of a, a communication um, issue. But uh, again, you know, Josh Allen, uh, you know, very good quarterback. He he did some some good things out there, and uh, you know, it's going to happen. You're, you're not always going to be perfect, but I, you know, Jordan, I, I don't think we can not to change the subject. But uh, I just I've been watching Aaron Donald since you know 2016. <laughs> I I. It's not the best play I've ever seen. Like I've seen him do some crazy things, but that's that sack forced fumble forced yeah, uh, fumble recovery. It was like first he reached out with one arm and then he just like rattled him so bad that that he you know he fumbles and then Aaron Donald falls on the ball. I'm like that's that's almost impossible to to do what he did uh, as as one person and you could just tell like I got no idea what was going through Aaron's head, but it just seemed like from that middle of that third quarter on, he just was like, no matter what happens here, I'm going to get to the quarterback. It doesn't matter how many people you put on me. It doesn't matter what you try to do to me. I'm going to get to this quarterback. And that was just that that fourth quarter was like a masterclass. Right. He made a business decision on that play. (laughs) The thing that I the thing that I think is so funny, Rich, psychologically speaking, about watching a guy like Aaron Donald play is like when something like that happens, your brain immediately shuts down into okay, it makes sense because these guys have to be much smaller than they really are because that's the only way that it's possible that these human beings can move that fast. Well, I want people to just think about for a second how large, first of all, how massive Josh, Josh Allen is huge. He is a big dude. They're calling him like Rams players are calling him like the the second Ben Roethlisberger, although uh, he can move a little better, I think. And like, you know, he, he is a big dude. He is hard to bring down. And Aaron Donald with one arm essentially just threw him around, right? <laughs> and then, but then Aaron Donald's body is moving one way and the ball is rolling the other way. And all of a sudden it's Aaron Donald who has come up with the football. Right. And so, and, and it's like your brain when you're watching it is like to scale on the TV and you're like, oh yeah, you know, that's, that's quick thinking just subconsciously patterning into they're a lot smaller than they actually are because that's the only human feasible possibility that a person could move that fast. And then you realize these are like some of the biggest dudes on the field and they're moving like that. And that's what makes me laugh every single time is you're like, oh, he really just did that. There's no way to explain it. There's just no way to explain it. He, He just, he, he really did that. And the interesting part was that Josh Allen got a personal foul after that. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, what are you – how upset are you that that has happened to you? I, I remember right. one time I said, like, when Aaron Donald picked Ezekiel Elliott up and threw him into Dak Prescott, I was like, what do you tell your family when that happens to you? <laughs> and, like, how how upset must you be? I mean, I, I get it. I would be upset, too. Right. From my perspective, it's hilarious. But I, I think – how upset must you be to have that happen to you and then just sit there and like, okay, this is my life now. I now exist in a world where such a thing has happened to me. Right, right. I'm, I'm now a meme. Yeah, I'm now, I'm now a meme. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm now, I'm getting memes. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Rams fans, it's a big one this Sunday against the New York Giants. You'll want to have your fridge stocked with Pepsi at home to watch the big game. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, It's made for those who watch it. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Pepsi, 
made for football watching. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. One thing you brought up earlier that I thought was was interesting when we were talking about the secondary and kind of seeing where things went wrong, John Johnson said something, a little bit of a, a tidbit that I thought was interesting where he he said when I asked him about, you know, what was happening, was it miscommunication, what was going on? He did say, yes, we were a step behind on some things. And and a lot of times that means either the help was a step behind or the play. They had pattern matched the play, so they knew the play, but just didn't get there fast enough. And another thing that he said was that it was about eyes too. Well, there's this thing called dirty eyes where a defensive back can be looked off or um, get caught moving toward either where the quarterback ball fakes or eye fakes. And that's called dirty eyes. And so when he said that, I kind of thought, oh, that would explain why they're late a step on things. If they if they do have dirty eyes on certain plays, Josh Allen, I don't think is like known for doing the Drew Brees-esque eye fake like that. But, you know, if you got a good one going, you could you could get guys a couple of times on that, especially on those long plays. Um with with talented receivers such as he has, so I, I thought that probably had a little bit uh, something to do with it, and that's also a sign too when you can get those halftime adjustments handled. Um, that's also kind of a sign of of like okay, that's that's a fixable mistake. Right, for sure. Yeah, that that's a that's a great point, Jordan. I love that phrase too, uh, and, and that perfectly. Me too. It. Yeah, that's that's a, that's an awesome way to. Uh, to describe it. And yeah, you, it's easy to, to, you know, fall prey to that, uh, if, if you're not kind of on, on top of it, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Again, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not fixable. I don't, I don't think it's something where you're really worried about those guys. You're not worried about Jalen Ramsey. Like you said, Troy Hill is very good in, in the first two games. Um, so, you know, yeah, it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't something you'd want to have repeated. Uh, but it, it also isn't something that I'd be very concerned about. Uh, you know, I don't think we could go through talking about the DBs without, uh, the pass interference penalty, uh, capital, right. capital letters. And, uh, you know, Jordan, I don't, I, I clearly, you know, to, to call that pass interference, I think is, is a stretch, <laughs> but again, it's, it's a perfect kind of, uh, you know, call back to uh, previous calls, you know, where, where the Rams have benefited. And, and we say the same thing then is it's it's not just one call. If you're looking at one call to, uh, you know, say that it determined the outcome of the game, you can't do that. It means you've done something wrong before that. And it's, it's the same as before with the offensive pass interference uh, that, that went the Rams way. Uh, bad call. But again, if it's, it's one call and you shouldn't be looking at that as the reason that you won or lost a game, I don't think. Yeah, you know, I think there's a bigger picture to look at too. I, I don't think that that game that that call is what cost them the game. Obviously, it did decide. If you were looking at the the word decision in terms of a final score, it did decide the game. It wasn't what cost it cost the Rams this football game by any small sum of the imagination. But there's a bigger problem here, Rich. And I actually, you know, just as a football reporter and observer. I think is something to monitor and be concerned about. And referees are not supposed to interfere in a game to decide a game. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to make sound decisions and not completely wreck a, a certain flow of a game. And two times in three games, first the Rams benefit in Chicago, or excuse me, against Dallas. Why did I say Chicago? Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, first the Rams got a, the benefit of the of the call, uh, the OPI against Dallas in week one. Now, again, that wasn't it. It should never come down to a final play in which a human being with a little flag in his hand is in charge of your future, <laughs> essentially. Right. Um, and full of all of the subconscious biases and human errors that every human being is full of. But it also it, it should not be referees should not be making decisions of that magnitude with things that are sometimes too close 
literally too close to call. Like, I don't think that that flag should have been thrown at the end of the game yesterday. I don't think that flag should have been thrown. I thought it was normal, uh, you know, hand fighting, essentially. I thought that the ball was uncatchable. I I wouldn't say uncatchable, but the receiver never broke toward it. And, And it wasn't because the receiver was, you know, like just unable in, in to move because Darius Williams was just like man, like manhandling him or bear hugging him. Right. Instead, he literally was just pushing against diagonal to the left, pushing against Darius Williams and the ball was breaking to the right. And so you as a receiver should be breaking to the right, but he wasn't. So that's the thing. It's if, if it's too close to call like that, you shouldn't have referees who are making game decisions in that regard, I think that's a huge problem. Part of it too is they did the referees every season. Referees visit training camps and embed with teams, yeah. and and they sit there and they go over all of the rules with the players, and they sit there and they call several live practices, and they practice different things. Um, this year, referees really didn't get a chance to do that, and they do it all spring, and they have an entire. Um, they basically have their own preseason and training camp. And there was no preseason, so the refs did not get a chance to do those things. And so, you know, while I am very firmly of the opinion that a a football game, if you really have won that game, it should never come down to a final call. Um, On the other hand, it's, it's frustrating to see such decisions be entrusted with imperfect beings and... It sounds extremely harsh, but really, that's that's what it is. Yeah, we're we're all imperfect beings, but I, in, right. in in this context, I don't, I don't want to make the decision. I, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm saying Im- imperfect in the normal yes. in the normal way that all humans are. Right? Yeah, it's no. not a robot making the call. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think you. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great point, and uh, I, I wonder, Jordan. And this is totally off the top of my head. And please feel free to tell me that you think I'm crazy. Uh, but I, I'm I'm wondering, you know, I think it was Michael Brockers who earlier Monday said something like, uh, you know, the Rams were basically celebrating, thought thinking that they had had a fourth down stop, and then and then there came the flag. I'm wondering if there's any sense with the referees because there's no crowd noise anymore. I mean, they have to be hearing these players, whether it's the sideline getting after them or whether it's the you know the the, the, the you know the offensive player, the receiver, whoever it might be. Do you think there's any possibility of that? That where they're just now they're 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 hearing the eruption. I mean, I guess you'd normally hear it from the crowd, but I, I wonder if it strikes the officials any different because it's really just them and the players on the field. I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's being a little too out there, but it, it was something that that I thought about when when I heard Michael Brocker's comment. Yeah, I don't know. I would I would have to think that it's it would be frustrating to every literally everybody sees that what they believe the call should have been, including like slumped shoulders, right? right. Back on the Bills sideline. And and then the flag flies. I think that, um, you know, I just, I, I, I don't think that there's a, a right answer. I think that's just part of the sport where yeah. you have referees, so be it. But they clearly, I think you see this around the league. They aren't prepared, first of all. You've got, I mean, what was it yesterday? It was like, Excuse me. What was it Sunday? It was like one of the one of the refs was like calling personal foul Bengals. The Bengals committed it against the Bengals. Like what? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, these guys aren't prepared. It's not their fault. Right. But I and and I will say this, too. I don't know why. Um, let me put this a little bit more politely. Sean McVay is not allowed to comment on the refs. I think that's a dumb rule. Yeah. Like. And that's me putting it politely. Sean McVay is literally by league bylaw not allowed to comment whether he disagrees with a call an official makes because he gets a fine and a big fat slap on the wrist from the league and it's like a public thing. It's basically like you guys saw how upset he was when he got a slap on the wrist for wearing for not wearing his mask on the sideline. Well, he certainly does not want the fine associated with criticizing the officials publicly and sometimes players get fined for this too but players I think are are more willing because they're not sort of the spokesperson for the team in that regard right coaches literally get fined for criticizing officials I think that is a freaking stupid rule yeah. because if you are wrong you should be told that you are wrong 
Yeah. That is how football works. That is how life works. If you are incorrect and you make a mistake about something, at, you know, it, it will be recognized and then you move forward. But the coaches have to sit there after the game and basically chew their own tongue off right. because they can't talk about it. Right. Right. All you can do is send it into the league for review and that doesn't change anything. <laughs> you can't bring that call back. Right. And and I think that's that's really, really dumb. And I think it's dumb to have unprepared officials throwing their flags on on decisions specifically throw it whenever whenever the hell else you want during the game. If it's if it's coming down to an actual game changing decision and it's too close to really call, why are you throwing the flag? That's irresponsible, and it goes against your job description as an official for a National Football League game. Yeah, you don't. You don't. I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan is very passionate about this subject, but uh, I, know, it's, I. It's dumb. No, it's you don't. You don't want to see a ref show. That's not. That's not why you're there. That's not why you're watching a, a big fourth down play. You're not there to see what the ref's going to do. I mean, obviously, if it's something egregious, you want to see a flag. Uh, but something of like course. something like that, especially like no, that's not let let, let the players d- decide it. And and that was that was a routine play. I mean, if you see that play fifty times, uh, how many how many times is it going to get flagged? Not not very often. Um, so so that's disappointing. Yeah, the the refs. I mean, maybe a lack of a preseason too. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, these guys I are so. coming in cold. Uh, maybe that that could be part of it, but. But I agree, Jordan. It's like, you know, it's kind of like the NBA, right? When you, you get to those crunch time minutes, it's like, or, you know, uh, actually a better one is is in the uh, hockey playoffs when, especially like when they get to overtime, you hardly ever see a penalty call. Like you almost literally have to like, you know, maim somebody to get a penalty call because that's not how they want the game to be decided. They want it to be decided by the players during kind of a normal course uh, of action. So I, I think that applies here too. And uh, it's it's disappointing because you know it, it was a great game you know by both teams and uh, you know it just it deserved a better ending so uh, I'm fascinated Jordan I, I want to go listen to our friends from Buffalo I was just gonna say this yes I was like man I want to hear what they're saying Joe, about Joe it. Buscaglia and uh, Matthew Fairburn uh, over at the Buffalo Beats our our, our sister podcast uh, on on the Athletic Podcast Network so uh, I, you know they're three and zero over there in Buffalo their fans have got to be thrilled but uh, but yeah I, I thought the Rams fans took you know Jordan just to put a cap on this. The one thing I, I I read on maybe this is this is where I'm going to get like equally mad about uh, about something. Oh, good, but, I love it. But like I've seen a couple you know columns or whatever, or maybe just kind of sarcastic tweets being like, "Well, the Rams of all teams are complaining about a pass interference call." You know, like a throwback to the NFC Championship game. You know, with Nikel Roby Coleman and all that. And I'm going, okay, like I get it. This is this is a cool hot take to have on Twitter, but it's like, what, like, what's the statute of limitations here? Like the Rams are never, ever, ever again allowed to, uh, to contest a pass interference call because one went their way, uh, two years ago. Like, I just, I thought that was a little weird to, to take that stance on it. Like, well, how could the Rams be upset about a pass interference call? Well, because it wasn't pass interference, that's why they're upset about it. It doesn't mean just because they benefited from one call that they can never complain about the same call again. I just I thought that was a kind of a weird like I understand when fans kind of you want to want to you know talk smack to each other that way, but I just thought it was a weird kind of stance to take uh, that, that that the Rams shouldn't complain about that call. And you know what? People who complain about that and use that specific. Um, illogical line of thinking. Those are the same people who grew up to become referees and throw flags in that situation. <laughs> yes. Listen, I like. I am with you, Rich. I think right. that selective, convenient memory is a terrible thing. It completely ignores actual analysis. And and I am I am so with you on that. The other thing, I couldn't tell what what bothered me more between seeing that or seeing uh. You know, this was what cost the Rams their comeback. Right. And I was like, no. No, no. <laughs> I know it's like maybe the sexiest thing about this game because it's what went viral, but that is not 
what cost the Rams this game by any by any means. By any means. And I know we really have to put a cap on this because we're just we're just mad. <laughs> so, we're just mad. And this is a day of peace. You know, it's but but man, I, I'll tell you what, I'm with you on that. And um, and, and I just can't even believe it. I mean, yeah, no, but you're right. I mean, how many like go go back. Uh, there's there's a 53 yard uh, missed field goal. OK, that's three points that that would have Woof. tied the game. There's, you know, a, a, an interception by Jared Goff that was a bad throw that uh, I believe led to points, right? I'm, yes, I'm scrolling yeah, through did. my own. Yes. So uh, there's there's a swing. Uh, there's a bad fourth down call by Sean McVay. The, the, the vomit. The vomit the call. Vomit bag. Yes, the, the vomit, vomit call. call. Yeah. yeah. So it, there's three huge plays right there that, you know, if, if two of those three go the Rams way, uh, maybe even one of the three, depending on the play, uh, then it, it doesn't even come down to what it came down to. So again, that's why, you know, everybody's always going to look at the fourth quarter and the, you know, the highlight play that happens at the end of the game. But that's that's not what it is. That's one in a handful of plays that, that you know, make or break the game. So yeah, I, I don't think you can look at one, but uh, I agree, though. From from a referee's perspective, you you don't want to be the one, uh, you know, holding the game in your hands. So I, I think we've successfully yeah. completed this rant, have we? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and if and if you want if you want to know really what the bulk of this game was and where this game was actually decided, literally look at the data chart for this game. The Rams, according to our great friends over at EGJ Sports, the Rams had a less than 1% chance to win this football game when they were down 28 to 3. For the majority of the game, by the way, right. When they were down facing a deficit, their curve sank lower and lower and lower in the Buffalo Bills' favor, and that is the bulk of the graph. So there's where your game-changing whatever is. Mm-hmm. There's where your game-deciding factors are. Um, something really cool, though, was watching it spike up so largely because, you know, by the time they pulled, you know, within a score, at one point they were just down by three points. By the time they were down three points – they had about a 75% chance of winning the game. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. And then it plummeted again. <laughs> <laughs> after, but not after the call, after the third and 22. Right. That the Bills converted, it plummeted again back down. Right. And so the Rams, they, the Rams had it. They, they could, uh, you know, I, I would have killed for 75% on some of my math tests back in the day. Oh my but like, gosh. Yeah. Man, that was, that was something. And I, I think that's a really interesting stat because the, the percentage discrepancy there is just like it's just staggering right and certainly the largest comeback attempted in the uh, in the and completed in the in the sean mcveigh era yeah and and i think one of the i know the bills have come back from a bigger deficit before in their history but i think in terms of having a team come back on them certainly in the sean mcdermott era that has not happened yeah so that was just all of that was just crazy to me but yeah the the decisions that were either made or the way that the rams basically were keeping themselves out of the game by all of their mistakes missed tackles are just eating this team alive um you know that that pick by jared goff i thought that was a terrible decision however i think he played his best game of the season and and remember last week when i was like that's the best game i've seen um, from Jared Goff, like in the last two years, I thought this past game was his best that I've maybe ever seen from him. Yeah, and I saw Sean McVay make the same comment too, and I, I found that that interesting. And and I I think I'd have to agree, uh, just because it, it's hard to look at a game, you know, like the last one where you start what was it thirteen of thirteen and say that, that you can do better than that. But uh, there there was a little bit, you know, the the offense went a little bit sideways, and and so did Jared in in the second half of that game, even though they. Um, even though they won it. So I, I thought all things considered here, yeah, he made one really bad throw. There's there's no question about that. Uh, but other than that, uh, I thought he performed very well. And again, we had to circle back to where we started, you know, to, to show the
the poise, uh, to not get rattled. Uh, I thought he did a very good job just in terms of, you know, a lot of the things that we talked about at the start of the season, Jordan, and I, I know you were very focused on, you know, Jared's growth and the the way that, the ways that he could do better as a quarterback. And, and you talked a lot about, you know, having a command of that offense and really being kind of a, a leader out there in a general. And, and I thought you really saw that for, from Jared, you know, not only in, in the throws that he made, but just in the way he was kind of running the team and, and keeping everybody focused and everything like that. I, I thought certainly from that perspective, um, I, I thought it was a, uh, thought it was his best effort for sure. Uh, some of the throws, yeah, he, he made some great throws. Uh, other than the one, he made some some good decisions with the ball. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was uh, another uh, very good game uh, for, for Jared Goff. But uh, Jordan, what do you think about the running backs now? Like it's it's uh, Daryl Henderson steps in and he was very impressive. I mean, don't even look at the numbers. Just, you know, look at, at the way he was running the ball and uh, the command that he had. I just, I don't know where this goes now, Jordan. I mean, Cam Akers is going to be back at some point. Uh, uh, Malcolm Brown, you know, really kind of took a back seat in, in this game. Uh, what do you do? What do you do now if you're Sean McVay? Well, I think you can still work out of committee, but with the understanding that Daryl Henderson has emerged as the the lead in that committee. So, you know, both both of those things can be true. You can still, like yesterday, they did a couple good change of pace slash short yardage things with Malcolm Brown. Um, Daryl Henderson even said to us, you know, when he spoke with media, he's like, I'm so tired, <laughs> which, which you, he wasn't feeling it in the game. But after the fact, he's like, okay, my body is like, is very tired. And so I think you still want to try to use the running back by committee. But again, Sean McVay and the staff have so far, you know, injuries aside, not shown to be averse in any way of just feeding the hot hand once the hand gets hot. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I think you can, I think both things can be true where, where Daryl Henderson will continue to carry the heavier workload um, first and foremost until Cam Akers comes back. And he's still day to day after separating his rib cartilage, which is like the most horrifying thing um, I can think of in terms of the pain on that. But also, even when he's back, I think you still continue to see what Daryl has got. And and that's fair because you're not going to just immediately pivot away from that. You want to go continue to go with what's working. But at the same time, the same way you saw some change of pace things happening with Malcolm Brown in Sunday's game, you can definitely do those things with Cam Akers. You can definitely do those things still with Malcolm Brown. And and then you're also spelling your hot hand, quote unquote, and, and keeping him as fresh as possible. You know, if he's out one or two plays, he's not going to lose that juice, especially yeah. with um, what I was really fascinated by this week was why, you know, how they first of all kept with the running game, which I said in my column was the best decision Sean McVay made in Sunday's game because number one, just like Jared Goff did not get rattled, even after throwing the pick, even after being down by so much, he just continued to stay super even keel. Um, if you don't mind me saying, he was a little uh, water, water, you know, like the Bruce Lee saying, <laughs> he was just like water. He just flowed, yeah, man. Like, right. you know, and so I, I think that, I think that it really, the, the same thing happens when you're able to continue to establish the run when another team, the other team is first of all tired. And second of all, thinks you're going to pass because you pretty much by the laws of football have to, if you're down by 25, you probably should pass. Right. The thing is though, in this case, that was not the smartest decision for the Rams. Not only because Daryl Henderson was biting off like six and a half yards per carry at one point, especially through that time when they were sort of um, facing that adversity and that deficit, but also the things that they were able to do with the run game specifically set up the things that they were able to do in the past. And what I mean by that specifically is when they started using Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and some of those pre-snap and at-snap motions, what you really saw was this is you're going against a defense that thinks you have to pass because you're down 25. So they see a receiver go in motion. So they widen out a little bit because they have to account for the receiver who's coming around the back of Jared Goff in that motion, right? 
So they widen out a little bit to account for that guy. Well, then Daryl Henderson gets the handoff and he's got just so much nice, comfy room to just power through. And then by his ability alone, he's able to pick up a couple more as well. And at some t- a couple times ripped off some really nice chunks of yardage. Yeah. Well, at that point, they're like, oh, crap. They're not throwing every play. Let's tighten back up, fellas. Mm -hmm. So they come in and tighten in. So now when you're using the motions, you can now give the ball to Robert Woods on a reverse. Um, And he picks up, you know, what, 16, 19, 25. There was at one point it was like a two-yard pass and he had a 25-yard touchdown. Like it it really – you can do those things because you kept running the football. Yeah. You don't have your screen game. You don't have Tyler Higbee. Okay, so you can do those things that I just mentioned because you kept running the football. And to me, that's just fabulous football. That just is fabulous football. I think that is so smart. Yeah. It's it's the simplest decision when you really look at it in hindsight. It is absolutely the simplest decision. But NFL situational game logic is screaming at you that right. you need to make the decision to pass instead because that's just how it is. Well, instead, Sean McVay was like, I'm going to make the simplest decision, even though it runs counter to what logic is screaming by the sort of structures and systems that is NFL football. I'm going to say, kind of give that the finger and go with what I know is working. And and it worked really, really well. And I just thought that was fabulous. Yeah, it really is like play caller chess. I mean, you, you really kind of have to get a sense of, you know, the push and pull of the game. And I mean, you, you can have you can have everything written down on, on your call sheet that you want. But I mean, you, you said it so well there, Jordan, you know, you're almost like setting them up uh, for, for something else. And, and you can only do that by, by really getting a feel for, for what's going on in the game. And okay, how did that play work? How, did, how are they adjusting? How, what, what are they biting on? Where, where are they looking? And then, and then adjust on that. And, and Sean did a really good job of that in the second half. And, and again, the discipline to do that, because I think the natural instinct, especially for somebody like Sean, is just to say, oh my goodness, we're down by 25. We got to start throwing the ball down the field. Uh, but but he was able to stay with those things and, and found great success uh, with them. So, uh, you know, again, it's, you, you don't want to be in that spot. Look, they, they had three points uh, at that point. So that shouldn't be overlooked. And, and I don't think we're overlooking it. Uh, that that's a problem. <laughs> that was not that was not a right. good thing. Uh, but but don't don't be there. <laughs> don't yeah. This is not. It's not where you want to start. Uh, but but the fact that they're able to do that uh, and and make those adjustments, I I think is is good. Uh, having that depth at running back in a lot of ways, Jordan, it strikes me is you know maybe what should have been done last year. I don't want to relitigate too much of you know what happened in, in 2019 with with Todd Gurley, but it, it just seemed like at times. There was still kind of a, a an idea of well we're, we're either going to feed Todd Gurley or or we're not going to run the ball at all um, and maybe they didn't uh, you know take advantage of, of some other guys and and I think you're seeing now that they they trust they they can trust all of these guys um, and that they can rotate them in depending on situations and things like that and uh, yeah I'm just I'm fascinated to to see how it shakes out I mean we've seen Daryl Henderson kind of have a breakout game. We know what Malcolm Brown can do. And you mentioned his skill set that that's going to hold up all season long. He's still going to be able to do the things that he can do. And then you bring in Cam Akers. Um, and we, we still expect uh, a lot out of him when, when he can breathe again, uh, like, like a normal human being. And hopefully that's, mm-hmm. that's soon. Um, so I, I'm really fascinated to, to see what they, what they do with that uh, uh, run game. But but Jordan, I don't, I don't want to end here without you. You know, one of my favorite subjects um, is is the kicking game. And oh, good. I thought you were going to say uniform, so I'm kind of breathing a sigh. Of oh yeah, we, we could talk about that. that you didn't. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. I'm not a fan of the set. blue on blue. I'm. I'm, I'm all set. Fan. Yeah. No. <laughs> blue, blue tops, uh, uh, yellow sole. What are, what are we calling it? Rams Royal and Soul. So uh, blue blue tops and and the sole uh, the sole pants that's that's the way to go. Uh, kicking, are we are we worried about Samuel Sloman? I mean, yeah, yeah. I think to the point that you're always worried about a rookie kicker who didn't have a preseason. I mean, if you think about it, I, I wouldn't say I'm more worried than I would normally be about a rookie kicker who didn't have a preseason. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. if that makes sense. But but I think. Part of it is like he's kicking in such controlled situations 
at Rams practice where there's, you know, it was pretty hot the first two weeks of Rams training camp. And during that competition, you know, you're not getting that, that Southern California breeze that you usually would. You also are inside SoFi Stadium when you're you, discovering what your range is on an NFL playing surface. His range is actually, you know, maybe 55 to 58. So when you send him out for 53, uh, a kicker who's not a rookie who has kicked in, uh, you know, adverse situations in a preseason perhaps would be more prepared for that. Sean McVay wanted to bring the blame on himself because obviously you take a third down sack and you lose eight yards and, and you put your kicker in a bad situation anyway if you have to kick. And then McVay, I, I feel like maybe he thought they, they should have punted in that scenario instead, um, although maybe McVay would have been like just crushed by that if they if they did instead of trying for the points. But, right. you know, I think it's it's tough because if this were the first problem that Samuel Sloman was having, I think I would be a little more forgiving, but it, it, it's a different thing every week. Hmm. And there was at one point the concern that he's not chipping the ball high enough over a defensive line. Like Sean came out and said, like, if you're chipping it that low, it it doesn't matter who's in coverage, Mm -hmm. it's going to get blocked. I mean, you just can't have that. So, you know, that there was that there's like certain things with the kickoff that I'm not convinced the kickoffs are going perfectly either. I mean, there's some, some, a couple of, return balls instead of touchbacks that I think are a little bit concerning. Um, You know, they obviously brought him in, allegedly kept him because of the leg strength and then also because he was, you know, perfect in practice the last week, which we didn't get to see. And and so when you discover your range, which he showed in the scrimmage, he he did hit both of his field goals goals from 53 yards in the scrimmage and was the only kicker to hit both of them from that distance. Um, you kind of are establishing range at that point. While that 53-yarder, the crosswind was was pretty gnarly down on the field in Buffalo. Mm. So that's not a great situation to kick into anyway. If it were just that, I wouldn't be maybe so hard on him. But I think because you're thinking about all of these things stacked up week over week, well, it, it, it really is a week-by-week situation with him. I, I truly believe that. I know that they mm. don't want to – hurry this because they are operating with the understanding that basically he missed four games to go out and actually do this for real. Right. So now here you go. Here's your first four game, games of the year. This is your time where you're ironing out those issues. Game five, week five, week six, week seven comes around. I don't think he has the same leniency that maybe he's getting right now. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's a it's a tough spot, and then this is what you kind of commit to when you when you commit to a rookie kicker. Um, you you don't know, and you know I know I it, I think it's fair to say too that you know a lot of Rams fans. How can you let Greg Zerline go? You know, blah blah. Greg Zerline missed two extra points on Sunday, so you know you can't look at it and say like the Rams made a terrible decision in, in letting. And I have a lot of respect for for Greg. Like he he did some amazing things with the Rams, and and he I still would have high confidence in him as a, as a field goal kicker. But uh, I wouldn't say they made the wrong decision. It's it's just you know I I don't know. Uh, how confident you feel uh, about your your rookie kicker at this point? I mean, they they had a couple options, and you know, one of them was uh, a little bit more experienced, uh, just in terms of kicking in the CFL and things like that. So, you know, we've we've gone over this before, Jordan. You've said it. You know, they they went with the guy who probably they thought had a little bit higher of a ceiling, um, and that still could be the case. But you can't, right. uh, you know, you can't go deep into the season, and uh, you know, especially with some of these games that you're expecting to be pretty tight and and, and close and. And, uh, you know, not maybe not have that confidence. So, yeah, I think it's a, maybe these next couple of weeks here going to be really, really important for, for Mr. Samuel uh, Sloman. But Jordan, the New York Giants coming in. I think we can agree the New York Giants are not a good team. They have scored. No, they have scored 38 points in three games. So I know Michael Brockers had to catch himself basically during his interview when he kind of said like that they were going to take it out on the Giants and then kind of had to say, not that we don't think they're a good team, <laughs> but uh, they're not a very good team, are they? I just think you don't want to be the team that comes to play the team that's actually good that lost in the way that the Rams lost. No. 
Like, you don't want to be those guys, especially coming into town instead of hosting. Uh, yeah, I, you know, there's always the what ifs. Um, the Giants are down a few personnel. I don't, I don't think they are going to miraculously get better in the next six days, five days. Right. Um, I'm pretty, I know Joe Judge has like all of these nifty catchphrases and whatnot, and he, he like puts pads on and, and all that crap, but I, I don't, uh, I'm not sold on him either. Uh, I am very familiar with Dave Gettleman and his structure of team building. Right. And in saying that, I believe the Rams could easily handle this football team. <laughs> Um, that was very I'm being, diplomatic, I'm trying, Jordan. Be, I'm trying to be polite. <laughs> I, I really am trying. I'm trying to be polite. Um, I'm working on myself, Rich. So the the thing is, I, I want to l- talk less about the Giants because Barfo, but I, I want to talk more about <laughs> this stretch. They've got yeah. Giants. They've got Washington football team. Shout out Ron Rivera. That's going to be fun. I wish I were traveling for that one. Yeah. They've got San- a very, very injured San Francisco. Right. Uh, not to laugh because it's horrible, but like, right. my God, yeah. 2020 hit those guys with a meteor. Yeah. Um, and then they've got the Bears, which, of course, is like your Brandon Staley triumph piece or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like and then they've got the Dolphins. I think those are all winnable games. Right. The Bears, the Bears would I don't know that the Bears stand up well to what Sean McVay could do on offense necessarily. I don't think their quarterback situation is promising over there. <laughs> Um, that's a very winnable stretch. And I think that there is a, there is an opportunity here for the Rams to not only regain their footing against New York, which is kind of, and I think this is a rude thing to say, but here it goes. They're kind of a get right team in a way like teams look forward to playing them because they're like, this is going to get us right. And we'll be backfiring on our cylinders because you do enough easy things in a row and you feel like you've got your mojo back and all of that. So um, you know, crazier things have happened in New York Giants football history in terms of upsets and whatever, but I just don't think that happens. And then at that point, you have a chance to go on a little bit of a run, and that's really that's really promising. The the toughest initial part of their schedule is over. They've got to win several in a row, uh, if not all, and they and they want to. Like Chicago might be a challenge, but you really have an opportunity to go on a, a great streak streak and set up momentum before you get to the Seahawks and then more deeper into NFC West play. Yeah, I, you just you have to start ticking off the wins. I mean, you, the, the the meat grinder is coming when you, you have to play some of these teams twice. And yeah, you, we don't know what San Francisco is going to look like uh, when that when that game comes around. But you know, Arizona's looking tough. Seattle's always tough. So you just you want to put those wins, pile up those wins as soon as you can. And you know, if the Rams the next two games, if they can complete this little tour of the NFC East uh, by by beating uh, in New York and, and Washington. That looks pretty good, you know, especially considering, you know, by the time that Washington game is over, if they can win that one too, if, if they can, you know, win the next two, then you're talking about you, you've gone 4-0 in that division, and then in your first five games, you've made three East Coast trips, and, and if you could, you know, come out of that with, with only one loss... Uh, that's got to feel pretty good uh, early on in the season. So you don't look at games as as must-wins, like anything can happen. But just the way this schedule is set up, I I totally agree, Jordan. If they can somehow, you know, win the next three, then you're sitting at five and one. And even though the schedule gets a lot tougher, you've already got five wins. And with the way this, uh, you know, playoff uh, format is set up, you don't need a whole lot more. If you can get yourself to nine, you're, you're almost certainly in. Um, right. So, you know, it's just you just you want to put them in your pocket as, as early as you can. And, and the Rams have done a pretty good job of that so far. But uh, I think they're going to want to pocket two more over, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, very much agreed. Um, I, I don't see there any reason why they wouldn't bounce back strong. Like I said, this is a kick the door down game ahead of them to kind of get their minds right, to reestablish themselves, to just not skip steps and, and not fall into these miscommunications to be fund- fundamentally sound. We talk about Samuel Sloman. He's back kicking, you know, in a controlled environment in SoFi. 
so he can kind of get his his feet for you know pun not intended but get his feet back under him you know you you're get, you're getting a little bit of time to get your guys completely healthy in terms of maybe Terrell Lewis sits out another week before coming back when you really start to need him you know maybe Cam Akers sits out another week before you really start to wear and tear on Daryl Henderson and maybe you want to get another back back so it's one of those games where you have a lot of opportunities here, not just to get yourself healthy, but also to get your your feet under you as a football team. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. It, under normal circumstances, you might even look at this as a trap game, but I don't think so now. Not not no, after what happened. They're in beyond. Buffalo. Yeah, they've transcended. Tra- yeah, trap not after what happened in <laughs> Buffalo. I I don't think you need to worry about motivation this week. Yeah, for sure. Well. Thanks, as always, to all of you guys who joined us today on the 11 Personnel Podcast with myself, Jordan Rodrigue, for The Athletic LA, and my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond, also with The Athletic LA. Please don't forget to check out the view from the opposing sideline. I feel like there's they're talking about that play call just as much as we were, Rich, but maybe on maybe they had some other opinions <laughs> about it. Uh, you know, the over in Buffalo Bills land. That's a great podcast. You guys should go check it out. And as a reminder, if you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, what do you get, Rich? You get Jordan's favorite thing in the whole world, other than her dog, Tucker. You get a discount. I love a good discount. And also, I love my dog, Tucker. Um, guys, you can check us out at theathletic.com. We're doing a dollar a month subscription deal. That's still running. So you guys make sure you you take advantage of that. If you miss it, you can subscribe uh, with a discount anyway because <laughs> we love a good discount. Don't forget to go on iTunes as well. Give us a five-star rating. We're a little biased, but we think you should give us a five-star rating. And leave nice comments. We love hearing what you guys have to say about our podcast. Jordan, I, I have to be uh, – the ego swells a little bit. I, I did see on, on Apple uh, Podcasts a couple of people left some really nice comments over the last week, and we do appreciate it. We, we want to be here for you. Always reach out to us on Twitter. Jordan is at Jordan Rodrigue. I am at Rich underscore Hammond. Let us know what you want to hear about, what you're interested in, what questions you want answered, and we are always glad to uh, lend whatever expertise we might be able to lend. So thank you all very much for the support, and we will look forward to talking to you next week. 